I've always wanted to do a podcast with different women who have different points of view. Or just like a show where I force people to talk about the view with me. Is the world flat? Yes. I'll call it Deja the View. I, I never thought about it, Whoopi. Hey guys, welcome back to Deja the View. I'm riding solo today. My co-host Marie couldn't be here, so I do feel a little bit like a fish out of water, but I'm still so excited for you guys to hear this episode. Before I get started, quick reminder, if you're listening on the Apple Podcast app, don't forget to leave us a rating and review. We really appreciate it. And also make sure you're following us on Twitter at DejaTheViewPod. Ramin Satuta is an award-winning journalist and he's the author of Ladies Who Punch, the highly buzzed about book that chronicles the history of The View, both the on-screen and behind-the-scenes drama of the show. When I first found out that there was a book in the making about the inner workings of The View, I knew that I wanted to talk to the person behind it. I made sure that as soon as the book came out that I got my hands on it, I read it as fast as I could, and Ramin was kind enough to let me ask him anything I wanted about the book. It's out now, so make sure you go get a copy. And without further ado, here's my chat with Ramin Satuta, the author of Ladies Who Punch. So I obviously was really excited to read your book, and I ended up, I didn't plan to do this, but I ended up reading it in one really long sitting like a crazy person. Oh, thank you very much. (laughs) So I, like... I got my hands on it the day that it came out and I think I spent like eight hours um, just like in my room start to finish. So it felt like a journey. Um, But I think it's like such a good comprehensive history of the show. Um, And I think for people who haven't been following The View, it's kind of, it'll be like mind blowing for them. And for people that are super fans, it, it really just confirms so much. Well, thank you for saying that. Um, I'm excited to talk to you because you were one of the first people to reach out to me to see if we could do an interview a few months ago. And I said, of course, um, as soon as the book comes out, I wanted to talk to you. And that is exactly what I wanted to do. Like, I really wanted to write a book that if you had even never seen the show, and some of the people who have read it so far have never seen the show, which I can't believe people exist out there who have never seen The View. It's been on for 22 years, and it's such an important show. But there are some people out there who have never seen it, and they come into the book, and they still are like gripped by the characters because they know who Barbara Walters is and Rose O'Donnell and Whoopi, and it's such a, you know, uh, historic show and you know there's you know the Donald Trump saga it's like very relatable stories that are in the book but then also I wanted people who follow the show very closely to also sort of learn things that they never knew happened on the show yeah because like one of the interesting things about the view is that it's been riddled with so many rumors over the years so like as a fan to read it and be like oh my god like I remember when that rumor came out and like now I'm hearing it from the horse's mouth like it's true <laughs> it's, it's crazy experience And I didn't want it to be, when I set out to do it, my goal was to really make it a reporting project. I didn't want it to just be hearsay or, you know, some producer, some anonymous producer say, like, 
I really tried to ground everything in the book in attributed quotes and have things vetted um, multiple times. So this this process took me three years to work on this book and to, to write it and get it published. And I interviewed in that time more than 150 people and 11 of the major co-hosts of the show, including Barbara Walters, Meredith Vieira, Whoopi Goldberg, Rosie O'Donnell, Sherry Shepard. Like I tried to get all the big ones because I yeah. knew how important it was to hear from them because otherwise I don't think it would have really worked without them. Yeah. Um, so you said you did 150 interviews. Other than View co-hosts, who are some of the people that you interviewed that people might be surprised had a connection to The View? So I talked to everyone from Regis Philman, who was the first guest on their test pilot, to Wendy Williams, who also conveniently has a segment called Hot Topics on her show, to Monica Lewinsky, whose interview with Barbara Walters in 1999 really was Barbara's biggest interview of her career with um, 70 million people watching. But it also had this trickle-down effect um, to The View because Barbara had became you know, so important around the time that the interview aired, people were watching The View to hear about her talk about meeting Monica and interviewing Monica. So I really wanted to give this very panoramic view of the show, but also I think it's a book about the television business and what it's like to produce a talk show and how the daytime landscape has changed so dramatically in the last 22 years. Yeah, the Monica Lewinsky one was really like that. Did you, or, or, or were some of these people interviews that you did um, from your reporting or was mostly all of it for the book. Every interview that I did was specifically for the book. Wow. Sometimes I would interview someone, you know, for a story and then tell them about the book and then, you know, schedule a separate interview or even ask them a few questions then. But every interview that I did, um, it was for the book. And, um, you know, I went to people and said, I'm working on a book. I'd like to interview you. Um, I talked to some of the women on SNL who played um, the characters in the view skits, like Sherry O'Terry was so excited to talk to me and so wonderful. Um, and gave me a call and, and, you know, talked about working with Tina Fey to do those skits. Um, Molly Shannon also talked about playing Meredith Vieira and what it was like. So it was really, um, the fun part about it was that everyone, for the most part, when I would tell them that I was doing this, even people who were tangentially related to the show, like Melissa Rivers, who, um, you know, who's a guest many times and whose mother, Joan Rivers, was a guest many times, they would, you know, they were game to talk about the show because, and I think that's also another indication of how influential the view is. Yeah. And you also talked to some of the people that were almost co-hosts, which I thought was really interesting. Like you talked to Lauren Sanchez, who is in herself a hot topic now. Yeah. Um, and she wasn't when I interviewed her because I, ta- I interviewed her about, I think, a year and a half ago. And she was really hard to track down because she didn't have a public email. But I was able to finally get in touch with her um, through her management. And she was she couldn't have been nicer. She was really wonderful. Um, and then when the Jeff Bezos news broke, um, one of my friends who'd read the manuscript was like, oh my gosh, can you believe it? And I was like, can you, what, can you believe what? And she was like, all roads lead back to the view. And then I Googled the story and sure enough, I saw that, you know, she had been dating Jeff Bezos, but um, <laughs> yes, yeah, she was many years ago before this, you know, she was notorious for something else. She was actually, you know, vying for a seat at the hot topics table after Debbie Matt after Debbie Matinopoulos was fired and um, came very close to being the replacement for Debbie before they decided that they wanted to hire Lisa Ling instead. Yeah. And I I love that someone said all roads lead back to the view, because if there's one thing that I try to push on this podcast, it's that everything always somehow connects back to the view. So I love that. You're Um, 100% right. It's like, um, it's like the Da Vinci code. It's like, there's something in our, yeah, there's something in that show that's like the code of like everything else you can, it's like six degrees of uh, Kevin Bacon. It's like all, it all goes back to the show. Yeah. It's so strange. Um, I know that Barbara, 
you said that she gave you her blessing for the book and that you, when was the last time that you actually got to speak to Barbara? The last time I saw Barbara was in um, the summer of 2016. And we sat down um, near her house for um, a meeting where at a restaurant where I talked to her about what it was doing, explained to her why it was important for me to write this book, um, told her all the people that I hoped to talk to. And then she sort of also gave me some suggestions for who to talk to and gave me an interview um, talking about some of her memories of the show and provided some of the sort of the big um, exclusive stuff that, that sort of have, has really you know, made a lot of headlines in the book. She, you know, she gave me some, some really interesting things. And that conversation, one of the, I think, most interesting things about that conversation was that she did reveal that after Rosie left in 2007, that she was, it was a choice between Whoopi and Gail King. And right. she was like, you know, it was really close. And she said she voted for Whoopi. And then I started to do more reporting and sort of got to the backstory of why and, you know, how they were, you know, Barbara wasn't sure if Gail was the right choice and also wasn't sure if Oprah would try to somehow hijack the show if they hired Gail. And so I thought when I sat down with her, I was like, this is probably going to be the biggest headline of the book. And then as I, as I kept interviewing other people, like there were other you know, big headlines that kept emerging. And um, it was just really interesting to see how many things, because the show's so written about, and there's so much stuff, there was so much stuff in all the clips as I went back and looked, but there really were a lot of big secrets um, from the show that never got out, and I was you know, pleased to, to hear about them as I was reporting for the book. Yeah. Well, speaking of Barbara, one of the things that you picked up on that I also agree with is Barbara's like enduring fascination with Hillary Clinton and you even called her a phantom sixth co-host um, and you kind of pointed out a lot of the ways that both Hillary and Trump are kind of woven into the history of the show um, did you get anyone to kind of speak on on that like strange aspect of the views history like well, Barbara I tried to, to interview yeah, yeah, I talked to Barbara about it, and I talked to Bill Getty about um, Hillary, and I talked to a lot Hillary Clinton, and I talked to a lot of the um, uh, producers about, you know, this coincidental setup where all the ladies really saw themselves, especially Barbara, they saw themselves through this prism of Hillary Clinton because a lot of the co-hosts of the View are trailblazers in their own way. Barbara certainly is, Rosie is, Whoopi is, and so Hillary Clinton in all the sort of fights that she had to fight to sort of become the first female presidential nominee of a major party, I think they saw parallels in themselves with Hillary, particularly Barbara did. Yeah. And it, the irony of Hillary being the guest on the day when Rosie um, had her infamous Trump roast, um, you had some insight into what Barbara's reaction was after that day. And I was curious because you said that Barbara was on a boat or something with judge Judy it, she was on vacation in the Caribbean with Judge Judy and Cindy Adams, and she wasn't at the table. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was supposed to be a, like just a low-key day before Christmas. They were really excited to have Hillary on. And before Hillary Clinton's interview, Rosie launches into her now infamous roast of Donald Trump, making fun of his hair and his finances. And, you know, as soon as the episode was over, Donald Trump calls the executive producer at the time, Bill Getty, threatens to sue Barbara Walters personally, threatens to sue ABC, and Bill's trying to fix the situation, so he calls Barbara. Barbara's worried she'll actually be sued by Trump. This is before we knew that he threatens to sue but doesn't actually sue anyone. And so Barbara gets on the phone with Donald Trump, tries to smooth things over, kind of bashes Rosie in the process, and then that propelled Trump to do his media tour where he was attacking Rosie. Right. 
Um, but it also created this rift between Barbara and Rosie because Barbara, Rosie then blamed Barbara for not being a good mom. And there was that huge makeup room fight, which I don't know. Should we talk about it? I think I want people to read the book and discover it for themselves. But there was a huge fight as a result of it um, in the makeup room because of Donald Trump. Yeah. And so I know you got a lot of insight from Bill Getty. Um, but like, did you interview Judge Judy as well? Is that how you kind of knew what Barbara's immediate reaction was to that? Or is this from Bill Getty? That came from Bill Getty was... Um, he, he Bill was very clear in his memory of what happened that day and how Trump called and then how he called Barbara and then Barbara said, this is awful. We have to fix this. Right. Okay. Well, you spoke to so many people, but uh, it's a lot. I'm sure a lot of people have asked you this question, but um, as you know, Elizabeth didn't want to participate in your book and she ended up writing her own book and uh, Whoopi didn't end up giving an interview for the book. Um, what do you think is the reason that Whoopi didn't want to participate? And I noticed on the the in the book, there's a quote about um, how Whoopi expressed to someone that she didn't like the cover of the book. Um, do you think that that's like? Do you think that's part of the reason or? No, I don't think. I think she made up her mind not to do the book before she saw the cover. Um, it was an interesting. And a little bit of a puzzling process with Whoopi because initially when I sold the book, I saw her shortly after um, and she like came over to me and she was really friendly with me and congratulated me and told me that she would look forward to talking to me. And I had interviewed Whoopi before for Newsweek. I you know, did a profile for her. I'd been to her house. I wrote a cover story for her for Variety. So we, we've always been on really good terms. And she seemed at first um, open and um, you know willing to talk to me about the book. But this was also that around the period um, where she was getting ready to leave The View. She was very unhappy at the show. She would constantly tell producers that she was going to leave. This was around 2015. And, and then there was a lot of shuffling backstage. Rosie left. Nicole Wallace came in. Nicole Wallace was fired. And ultimately, I think things settled enough that she decided she wanted to stay. And I think with that decision came another decision, which was not to talk to me. And I tried really hard and I wrote her a number of letters and I, you know, really wanted to talk to her. But I think ultimately, she is a character in this book. She is written about in this book. We do know her about her experiences and her stories through the eyes of the other co-hosts who were with her. And I think that her section of the book is still strong, but I do wish she had talked to me. And, you know, I do wonder that if the reason she didn't talk to me is because she's still employed by the show and couldn't give me a candid and honest interview in the same way that Jenny McCarthy, Sherry Shepard, Meredith Vieira, and some of the other co-hosts who are no longer on could give me. Yeah, and I guess it's it's a little bit different than Joy Behar being so candid, maybe because, you know, Joy is so embedded into the, in the very beginning of the show to now. So maybe it's a little different for Whoopi. And Joy's... Um, Joy doesn't have, based on conversations I've had with the producers of the show, Whoopi really did have a period where she was very, very dissatisfied with what was happening behind the scenes at The View. And Joy never experienced that. I think Joy, for the most part, there's highs and lows, obviously, with the show and sort of depending on who's running the show. But Joy, for the most part, has been content on that show. And I think Whoopi had um, some struggles with people behind the scenes for, for a stretch of time. Yeah. So you also write about being friends with Megan McCain and 
um, I recently met Megan and she actually like really cracked me up. Um, and she used, wrote that she really championed the book before it was even before she was even on the show. Um, how much input did Megan have into the book? So Megan um, and I worked together at Newsweek. I was an editor at Newsweek when she was an intern. And I remember her being, um, I think she was 20 or 21. I remember her you know, being at Newsweek and being very opinionated and strong and like outspoken. And I said to her one day, I said, you know, you would be a great co-host of The View. Um, and this is obviously years before she was actually selected to be a co-host. Um, when I sold the book three years ago, um, uh, Megan, I told Megan about it. She's really one of my very good friends and she was really excited about it. And she's like, I would totally read this book. Um, I look forward to reading this book. And then she was hired as a co-host on the show. Um, and so I interviewed her like I interviewed any of the other co-hosts, but I didn't obviously, it, it made things a little complicated because we were friends, but I didn't, she wasn't privy to my reporting or my process or my sources, just like no one else was. And so right, I kept, okay. we kept all of that very separate. It wasn't like she's read the book or was, is knowledgeable of what's in the book. And so much of the book takes place before she joined the show that it, you know, it really wasn't a conflict. Okay. That's interesting. Um, and another thing that I think is kind of interesting about, Megan, is she kind of touched on her relationship with Joy as kind of saying, I think she kind of relates it to like their boxers in the ring. And then when the cameras are off, they they let it all go. And I was just curious, like, I know that Joy has kind of made little comments here and there about maybe some like ba- uh, arguments veering like into personal territory. And I'm just curious as like someone who knows Megan, like, what do you make of their like funny they have like a funny marriage relationship. Like, what do you make of that? I think that um, I think that Megan and Joy are both really necessary for the show. I think you've always had a Republican and a Democrat, and they've always sat on opposite sides, and then they always sort of come together like a family at Thanksgiving. And I think that, um, as Megan says in the book, she really values Joy's friendship, and she values the fact that they can have these discussions, and then they can come together at the end of the day. Okay, so we can trust that they fight on screen and then they let it go. Yes. One of the other like really satisfying things about the book was that you went through so many, you went through like every hire and fire and the inner workings behind like how that all happened. Um, And a lot of the co-hosts have kind of left the view on mysterious terms. So like (laughs) as a fan, that was really satisfying. There's a quote from Rosie that says, every person who's left that show has been fired except for me. And you kind of like attribute a lot of the show's downfall and then resurrection to the hiring, firing of Joy Behar, even though there's still been a lot of turnover even after Joy came back. So I was curious, like in the years that Joy, since Joy made her return to the view, did you talk to any of the co-hosts like, um, you know, like Jedediah Bila, Paula Ferris, Sarah Haynes, or Michelle Collins? I reached out to some of them, and they decided, and a lot of them never wrote back to me. Um, based on my reporting, but I didn't really think they were that key to the book because they were there for such a short period of time. Based mm-hmm. on my reporting, most of those co-hosts sort of had a disastrous run on the show. Um, the audience never really warmed to them. They really never got the sort of the pace of the show. One of um, the issues that Michelle Collins had was that she was, um, she just really never found like her seat. And when they brought Joy back and they had Michelle, it just seemed kind of repetitive and it didn't feel like they were both necessary. Um, 
but Michelle, I mean, I have a funny story. I've never told this before, but Mich- I was um, at an event with Michelle and I had known Michelle and I talked to her and I told her I was writing this book and she's like, oh, great. And she sort of, it seemed like maybe she would talk to me for this book because she seemed encouraging and funny about it. And then after she was fired from the show, I saw her at an event and I went to talk to her and this has never happened to me before, but she turned her back completely to me and she was like, hi, excuse me, and like turned her back and pivoted 180 degrees and then wouldn't look me in the eye. And so then I took that as the fact that she was really done talking about The View. But I've heard from other people, too, that have talked to her. She really doesn't want to like reengage with The View because she had a sort of traumatic time there. Yeah, like a bad breakup, I guess. It makes sense. Yes, yes, very, very much so. And she moved to New York to be on The View. And it was. She, I think she just really had high hopes for the show and, and it turned out differently than how she thought it would right someone that we like really love on this podcast is sarah haynes and you even though you didn't talk like in detail about sarah haynes you made a really like interesting connection between what happened with kelly ripa and michael strahan and how that later on related to sarah leaving the view and like that was one of my favorite parts is how you kind of got into like how the inner workings of tv and um I was wondering if you could like shed some light on that situation and Ben Sherman's vision or like how you told that story. So um, the previous um, executive running all of ABC's networks was um, a man named Ben Sherwood. And he had been obsessed with the idea of adding a third hour of GMA to compete with the four hours of today. Because right now there's only two hours of GMA, Good Morning America. And so he wanted a third hour of Good Morning America. And so in his quest to do this, he consciously uncoupled, to borrow a phrase from Gwyneth Paltrow, <laughs> um, Kelly Ripa and Michael Strahan, and stole Strahan away from Kelly Ripa without telling Kelly Ripa, moving Strahan to Good Morning America. And Ben Sherwood kind of had a grudge. Um, he had a grudge on Kelly Ripa because Kelly Ripa had it in her contract that she had to have 9 a.m. for her talk show. So there was no way he could clear that spot. And also her talk show does really well. But there was no way he could clear that spot with the affiliates to expand GMA there. So then he was looking at The View as maybe a place, after Rose O'Donnell left the second time, as a place where he could kind of um, plant the seed for an extra hour of GMA. And then when the show sort of came together and the ratings did better, he couldn't do that either. So he was left with this idea of relaunching Good Morning America in the afternoon um, in an hour called GMA Day. And to find a co-host to pair with Michael Strahan, they decided um, that Sarah Haynes, Michael actually asked for Sarah Haynes and wanted to be with Sarah Haynes. So that's that's how Sarah Haynes ended up leaving The View to do GMA Day. That's something I never, I didn't realize that he had requested Sarah. Yeah, yes. That question was kind of for my co-host Marie because she loves Sarah. <laughs> um, but so speaking of Kelly Ripa, there's an, another like big moment that I was obsessed with and that you really gave a lot of insight into. And that was the infamous day that Clay Aiken uh, covered Kelly Ripa's mouth. And then of course, um, R- Rosie ended up kind of outing Clay and then Kelly called into the view and they had their big fallout on the air. Um, And like we've dissected that before on our podcast, but you really like told it, you added like a new layer to it and you even were able to talk to Clay Aiken about it. So I was just curious, like about your time speaking to Clay Aiken about that. And also like, was your connection to Clay Aiken through Megan? I did actually, um, 
I was at Megan's wedding and Clay was also at Megan's wedding and, that, and we know each other through Megan. So yes, you're a very good um, researcher and investigator on view connections. I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, yeah, I think that's a I kind of want people to discover that story though for themselves in the book. But I will, what oh, I will yeah. say is what's interesting. What's interesting about that story is that everyone has their own point of view about what happened. Clay sees things a little differently than Rosie, but Rosie was truly trying to be protective of Clay and trying to come to his defense. And in a way, he, she kind of outed Clay because he hadn't come out. And when she said the thing about, you know, if that was a straight man, she was implying that Clay wasn't. And so Clay had to grapple with that and then had to eventually come out. And he said Rosie helped him come out publicly. But they had a previous discussion. I think the thing that Clay told and Rosie told me that I hadn't, and I don't, most of us didn't know, was they had a previous discussion of The View where Rosie was trying to give Clay sort of mentoring or parental advice on how to navigate being out and also being famous. Right. And and she was a little presumptuous because Clay had never come out to a stranger before. But she Rosie got Clay to come out to her um, in the dressing room of The View. And then when she saw the Kelly Ripa thing a few days later on live, she was just really, really frustrated and upset that Kelly would do that. And she saw that as a homophobic act. So she went on and defended him on TV. It also really, really upset her that um, – two of the producers patched through Kelly's call when she called the control room because The View isn't a show that normally does that. It's not you know, a show that's like, we're going to take a call from this viewer, this person, or this expert. Um, yeah. And so they kind of did that spontaneously and caught Rosie off guard, and she was, she was very upset that they had done that to her, and she had to respond to Kelly Ripa in real time live on The View. Yeah, and I think that's a thing that people will enjoy uh, reading in the book is like you told so many different sides to that story and that was like what my favorite part was about hearing about that oh thank you um, I kind of want to talk about more about like the the making of the book because you had such a high level of access to the view it sounds like like there's a couple times that you mentioned that you were backstage and you interviewed Joy at the view and, and then there's even a moment that you kind of mention. Um, being able to listen to the recording of the offstage mic feed between Barbara and Elizabeth um, when they had a backstage fight. So I'm just curious, like, what was The View's uh, and ABC's, like, PR approach to giving you so much access and, like, letting you into their world so much? So I think one of the advantages um, was that, one, I had a lot of access to a lot of the co-hosts outside of those employed by ABC. So I started my process by interviewing Barbara Walters and Debbie Matinopoulos and Meredith Vieira and um, Star Jones and a lot of the co-hosts who had moved on from ABC. And then I think when I had enough of them, I went to ABC and said, I really like to talk to Joy or I'd like to spend some time, you know, observing or to be in the studio on election night when we all thought that Hillary Clinton would be elected president. And that to me, that was going to be initially, um, not to do an aside here, but that was initially to me in my head was the opening scene of the book is that I saw the ladies of the view coming together for their, you know, lifetime special that they had in, in, in 2016. And they were going to celebrate the fact that there was finally a woman president and the view really paved the way I thought for this momentous, you know, night. And so that to me, like visually, as I was starting to write the book, I thought that would be a scene in the book. So I was there on election night. I was there as Joy was freaking out, and no one knew what was happening. And we, they saw that states that they thought were definitely going to go blue went red, and you know Donald Trump looked like he was about to 
become president and then they had to sign off and it was you know chaotic there as there, it was anywhere else in America and everyone was very confused um but uh i think the fact that i had interviewed so many people and abc is a news organization um i made a very compelling argument and to their credit they listened that i would like to have some you know of the current co-host voices in the book for balance and i think it makes it a better book and i think that it in reading about the book and the influence of the sorry in reading about the show and the influence of that it had in our culture i think the fact that they participated makes the book stronger and also sort of makes us value what the view represents more i i mean totally but do you think also that they by uh, working with you so much do you think they kind of were hoping that you would you know I don't think the book is negative but do you think they thought maybe you'd write a more favorable take if they if they worked with you as opposed to like shutting you out I don't think of things as favorable or unfavorable I was very honest with them from the beginning that I wanted to tell the true right. story of the view but yeah. I think that by talking to me they the book is certainly more balanced and we certainly yeah I think it would be strange to have a book about the show and then not have any scenes set at the show. So I'm I'm glad that I was able to do that and I think it improves the book, but I also think to have closed me out would have would have been strange because because it wouldn't have allowed for, you know, us to to be at the show. And I think they would have been doing a disservice to the show and also themselves as a news organization to not participate. Yeah. Well, I actually also, we're familiar with my co- my coverage of the show. I re- I've written about the show for several years now at Variety, and it's been it's been pretty. My coverage has been pretty honest, and in some cases, you know, I've written a lot of hard hitting stories about the View. So it wasn't like they weren't familiar with the kind of stories that I wrote. Yeah, so they knew what they were getting into, and they made a decision to to work with you. They were they were, they appreciated journalism, and I appreciated that yeah. from them. I was in the audience for Elizabeth's recent appearance on The View. And, and oh, that day that she went back? Yeah, and they kind of cryptically asked her a question about um, Rosie's comments in your book without actually mentioning the book, though. And so do you think that's kind of a signal that they're a, a not happy with the book? Or do you think um, they just weren't ready to talk about it? Or do you think they will talk about it on The View? I don't I don't know if it was a signal. I think it was pretty clear that they don't want to talk about it on the show. They've made the decision not to talk about it on the show. But I do wish that they'd at least attributed my reporting because I think ABC News' standards and practices dictates that when you use reporting from someone else, you source where it comes from. And when Sunny cited my book, it was kind of strange. She she made it seem like Rosie had issued a, like a random statement about Elizabeth. Yeah. And, you know, they quoted me on their screen without saying where they got the quote from. So I wish she had at least said that that um, it had come from my book. Mm-hmm. Well, it is kind of interesting. Elizabeth, um, she was on Fox last night and she was happy to answer so many questions about your book. And she really confirmed a lot of the stuff in it. Like she seemed, even though she wrote her own book, she she seems more than willing to uh, speak about your book, which I thought was kind of cool. I, I saw that too, and I appreciate that. And I, I hope that she and I can actually have a conversation one day because I'm really fascinated by her, and I think um, I still have some questions about what her time at that show was like. And I read her book, and I still have 
many, many questions that I would like to ask of her. Um, and also what she did on television was really groundbreaking. She was the first, it was the first time that there was a Republican in daytime television talking about their policies and politics and defending the Republican Party. And so I think to have her voice would have been really um, cool and interesting. And I still hope that one day I could sit down and talk with her. Yeah, absolutely. And not only that, but like uh, making the the transition from Survivor to The View, like that in itself was groundbreaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I write about that in the book. It was, we forget now because so much has happened in our culture and reality TV stars have ascended so much. But back in um, back in the year that Elizabeth joined The View, it was in 2000, what was it? 2000, I think it's 2003, 2004-ish. Um, there were no reality stars that used their 15 minutes of fame for other careers. So mm-hmm. there was no Bethany Frankel or there was no Kim Kardashian or there was no Paris Hilton. Like the idea that you could be a reality star and then pivot and have a career in the entertainment industry was a foreign notion to us. And Elizabeth was a pioneer in that way. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk about Rosie a little bit, if that's okay. Um, She's quoted in the book as saying, I don't lie. So I'm going to tell you too much and it's going to be bad for me in the end. And I thought that was fascinating, just kind of based on what her reaction has been um, since the book started to come out. I was wondering how much time did you spend with Rosie? Um, I've interviewed Rosie many times over the years. For this book, um, we had a lunch that lasted, she keeps changing how long it lasted, but I think it lasted about an hour. Um, And then I had a follow-up, a short follow-up phone call with her um, where I went over some things with her. I also spent um, about two hours with her when she was returning to The View um, for the second time. And she gave me some stuff that I actually do incorporate into the book that I hadn't published before. Um, uh, she is, I think, incredible. And I think she's fascinating. And I think she was really, really important to talk to for this book. And I'm grateful that she talked to me. I hope that um, she'll read the book because I don't think, I think it's a, I think it's an honest portrayal of what happened. And I think that some of it, you know, I think that she, she struggled with some of the press and the pickup, but I think that if she had, for example, read the entire chapter, um, chapter 11, the queen of nice about the Rosie O'Donnell show, she would have seen that it was a very, you know, celebratory portrait of what she did for daytime television. Okay. Yeah. Because, um, what do you think? I, How do you feel like she came off in the book? Um, I think, I think, I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, um, I don't know. There's always, it's like a hard line to walk whenever uh, like a woman's in power. Um, Cause you know, when, when a woman like knows what she wants and is in power, there's always like the stereotype that they're a bitch or whatever. So it's a fine, it's a, you know, it's a hard line to walk, but I think overall you can tell in the book that you are a genuine fan of Rosie and that you're not writing um gossip you know right Um, thank you and that was my that was my intention and I think one of the other things that was really important for me and my book editor actually said this and I really appreciated it he said you don't read the book thinking that any of these you know women who we celebrated and deserve to be celebrated 
necessarily are one-dimensional or bad people. It's just that they're complicated, you know, like there's good and bad sides to everyone. And there's, you know, they've achieved so much in their careers and they had to fight so hard to achieve so much in their careers that obviously sometimes they were competitive with each other. And obviously sometimes they weren't getting the respect they deserved from the network. And so they had to like maneuver in different ways. Yeah. So I'm curious, like um, when Rosie started to express that she was upset with the way the book was being promoted and I think she was upset about a headline about her sexual abuse. Did you have a chance to reach out to her um, to kind of like clear that up or anything? Did you guys talk? Like what happened when you guys talked again? I think she was upset initially that CNN had reported that she had written the book, which I understand because that wasn't true. But I also, that wasn't something that I had done or had anything to do with. Um, It was just a, it was just a mistake in an online article that was corrected. Um, I did try to reach out to her. I don't want to go into sort of private conversations we had, but I would, um, I appreciate that she talked to me for the book. I really truly do. And I think that you you do think her reaction might be different if she were to read the whole thing. I would be interested, very interested in what she thinks of the entire book. Yeah. Do you think, um, she also wrote her own version of, you know, what happened at the view, a book called celebrity detox. And, when her book was published, Barbara Walters was furious at her. And so she, you know, in a way she's, she went through what I'm going through with her right now, where Barbara Walters was very, very upset with her. Um, yeah, but that's Barbara read, Barbara read Celebrity Talk. So I would be interested in, in what Rosie thought of this book very much so. And even yeah. if she doesn't like it, I would be interested in it. Yeah. Um, will you, one person that was really like open about telling their story in this format was Bill Geddes. Um, it seems like you spent a lot of time with him. Um, Rosie and Bill have kind of made no secret about being at odds with one another. Um, but I was curious, like, what was the impression that other co-hosts gave you about their genuine or general feelings towards Bill? Like, is there a spectrum of opinions about him? Like, for example, from like Jenny or Sherry? I was just on Jenny's radio show yesterday on her Sirius XM show. And Jenny loves Bill. She thinks the world of Bill. She thinks he was a great producer. He thinks she thinks that he really cleaned up messes and did it quietly so that they didn't turn into bigger messes and the network didn't have to get involved. Sherry was a fan of Bill's. Um, uh, Debbie loved Bill. I think for the Barbara, of course, loved Bill. I think for the most part, um, many of the women on the show did really enjoy working with him. I think there were a few cases. Um, Star Jones, for example, never forgave him for not being um, honest to her about her firing and for, you know, telling her through the network that she was being fired um, in 2006 and then having her husband at the time, Al Reynolds, having to fly to Phoenix where she was doing a talk at a conference and break the news to her. She was, you know, she was like, why couldn't you just tell me that to my face? Like it didn't, she thought it wasn't a very brave thing for him to do. So, you know, I think there were some co-hosts that got along with him more than others, as there would be in any work environment. But there were a lot of complimentary things said about him um, from the co-hosts I talked to. And, of course, Rosie had a very hard time with him. And, and, and Bill is aware of, you know, to his credit, Bill did, did say, I understand why Rosie had a hard time with me, because she was always used to calling the shots, and she had her own show, and I was here running this show differently, and she wanted to be in charge. Um, so he was aware of that like looking back on their relationship. Um, but Rosie felt like Bill was using Barbara to advance his own career and he wasn't invested in what was best for Barbara, which Rosie okay. thought was retirement. 
So it's, it's, it's complicated. Like Rosie thought that Barbara should retire when she was on the show because she thought that she was in her 70s and she had had a glorious career and, and it was time for her to go. And, and Bill sided with Barbara, who, said, who wanted to stay on TV. Yeah, that's, it sounds very complex and complicated. And, it's a really um, complicated situation. Yeah, yeah, it's a really complicated amazing, I tried but... to show. I tried to show all the different sort of sides and, and gray area between sort of their relationship. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's like quite a challenge that you took on. So bravo to, on doing that. Thank you. So this is kind of like a general question before I, I let you go. Um, is, uh, for you personally, as someone who was like already a fan before you started covering The View, what was like the most surprising anecdote or new information that you learned in the process of writing it that you didn't already know? That's a good question. I mean, I know it's kind of broad, but... Well, it, it's interesting because it was it kept changing. So, like, I originally thought the biggest and most surprising thing was the news that Barbara gave me about Gail. Like, I just thought that that would be the revelation of the book, the fact that Gail King came, came so close to being the moderator in Bethel B. Goldberg. And mm-hmm. then, as I went on, you know, and talked to Rosie, she offered her own revelations, and I talked to Meredith, and she had things that surprised me, and I talked to Star, and... I was really most surprised when I talked to Star about how she explained why she couldn't talk about her gastric bypass because I think it had been covered a lot and she did a press tour when she was launching a different talk show and she talked about it some more. But I think what really stood out was the idea that she was too insecure to talk about it and she was too scared that if she did talk about it and it didn't work, she would look like she had somehow failed. Yeah. And it was a really strong and profound moment when she talks about that and I think it's a I think it's a profound moment in the book. And then to hear her talk about how she was grappling with all her issues and trying to, you know, trying to get healthy and having this procedure to get healthy and then having she says Barbara Walters and Joy Behar leak stories about her gastric bypass to the press. It's interesting to hear her point of view about it because I think there was so much about why she like left the view and why she would alienate her fans. But to hear her reflect on that, I think was one of the most interesting things that I learned in the process of reporting this book. But there were a lot of interest. Like I was surprised daily in my reporting because there was a lot of things that people would tell me that I had no idea about. Yeah. Well, you could write an entire separate book just about Star Jones wedding. Like that was fascinating. <laughs> Ladies me, to punch too. Yeah. Um, for me, uh, you touched on the Gail King thing, but for me, it was also hearing that um, they were kind of preparing for when Whoopi inevitably leaves and they were considering asking Meredith back. I thought that was really fascinating. And just it kind of got me thinking about like who could take over for Whoopi. And like before I let you go, like I want to talk a bit about the current state of the view. And like, do you think the view could survive without Whoopi and Joy? It's an interesting question. There's a scene in the book where an ABC executive asks Barbara if the view can survive without Star, Meredith, or Joy. And Barbara says no. And it did. And it has made it for 22 years, which I think is much longer than Barbara ever dreamed it would last. I think that if Whoopi decides to leave, she's under contract until 2020. But I think if Whoopi were to decide to leave, it would be a complete reinvention of the show once again. And I think a lot would depend on who ABC executives found to fill her seat. I don't think Mm -hmm. it cannot be done, but I think it would be very challenging and difficult because so much of the show now is identified um, through Whoopi. Yeah. And like, I, I personally, like I never want to see Joy or Whoopi go, but it's hard to say like, you know, you never know how long the show 
can go on. I mean, I think it's miraculous that the show has gone on for 22 years. I mean, television has changed so much in 20 years, and the show was so ahead of its time when it first launched. But to have it continue to survive, even with all these copycats, and even with the fact that when you turn on CNN now, it looks like The View, and, you know, we have Twitter so we can all express our points of view whenever we want, I think it's a it's it's a real accomplishment and a testament to how groundbreaking Barbara Walters truly is as a pioneer mm-hmm. journalist and also producer. Yeah. Yeah. I love hearing about Barbara, the producer, as opposed to Barbara, the journalist. And I think there's a real redemption story um, element to the book. And I just, yeah, I think for, again, like for people who haven't been following the view, it'll blow their mind. And for people who are fans of the view, it's just, it's very satisfying. So thank you for writing it. Thank you for reading it all in one sitting. I'm really just <laughs> very grateful to hear that. I know. I'm like slightly embarrassed to admit that, but also like <laughs> it's a compliment to your Don't book. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. <laughs> um, okay. So yeah, I'll let you go, but thank you so much for taking the time to call. Thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Okay. I wish you all the best of the book. <laughs> 